Welcome to SoFlo by Lucas Millar. Lucas's latest collection of 13 short stories, ranging from the gross and silly to heart-wrenching thrillers of cosmic proportions. Join Lucas as he takes you beyond the beaches and shows you the dark side of the Sunshine State. Welcome to SoFlo, a collection of weird Florida horror by Lucas Millar. Available January 14th, 2024. Brought to you by the Evil Cookie Publishing. Welcome to another episode of Dead Headspace. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough. Joined always by my friend, Brennan LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And our other friend, Candice Nola. Say hello, Candice. Hello. And we're talking to Mark Taos, author of Chasing the Dragon. Say hello, Mark. Hello, everyone. And let's just dive into what got you into horror. Yeah, wow. That's a, that's a hell of a question, isn't it? It's, um, I could spend all day talking about that, but how long have we got? Like an hour? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> look, uh, look I, could, I could give you the typical answer. I grew up reading Stephen King, James Herbert, Dean Kuntz. Uh, first book with my first ever library card was Cujo. Uh, I was attracted to the cover because it was taboo, the rabid dog on dog on the front. And um, as a kid, that's that's really interesting. Um, so lots of fun memories of reading those kind of books, just um, lying on my bed, just with those summer breeze coming through the window. Um, grew up watching things like Hammer House of Horror, Tales of the Unexpected, Twilight Zone, some of them really good, slow build British shows. Uh, very fond memories of sitting in front of those with a with a packet of chips and a can of Coke. Uh, that was my little treat on a Friday night as a kid, and that I always put a smile on my face. But I've actually spent some time thinking about this because um, I've just started to put myself out there and go on podcasts. And I know that question, I knew that question was going to be fired at me quite a few times. And aside from the typical answer, and I've got a, a memory that I keep coming back to, and that sort of ties in with my, I call it a passion for old people horror as well, if you like. Um, but I, I, if you've got time, it, it's, it's a quick story, but it's, I can, please. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, so my parents had a very, um, they clashed a lot. So the household was very, I equate it to war. Um, when I talk about it, you know, lot, long periods of boredom followed by short bursts of uh, violent dialogue. That That's how I, you know, kind of imagine my, my, um, my parents' relationship to be. So, um, but for some reason they were getting on this particular day you know it's that noteworthy i can still remember it and they decided to go out for dinner and they they really struggled to find a babysitter because it's not something they used to do this was this was a rare rare occurrence so uh they decided to leave me with the next door neighbors now i don't know about any of you if you when you were growing up you have any recollection of really creepy neighbors i don't know i got lucky i didn't have creepy neighbors near me i, I had a few <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, Somewhere you know, the, the, the sort of ones. Which the, one. the, sorry, yeah, yeah. Look, you do, and like, you, you only see them on rare occasions. You, you don't know what they get up to behind closed doors, which is, 
Which is part of the fascination I have with old people because you know, you, they, they walk down the street, they smile and laugh, you just associate they've had such an innocent life. But then again, you just don't know what they've been up to, what, what their past consists of. And that that's part of the attraction for me, uh, just sort of, you know, digging out the skeletons from the closet. But but anyway, um, they decided to leave me with their next door neighbor, uh, next door neighbors called Daphne and Alf, an old Dutch couple. We've never had any interaction with them before, apart from the fact they used to bring these food parcels across. Um, and they happened to be chain smokers. So everything they brought across tasted the same. It tasted of cigarette ash, everything. It doesn't matter what it was. It always tasted of tobacco. So needless to say, as soon as they let, you know, turn around and left, it used to be scraped in the bin. And we'd say, oh, that was great. Yeah, you know, and they'll say, oh, we'll bring some over next time or we'll do something different and bring it over. So they kept bringing this. It was a pattern. They kept bringing this food. It went in the bin. We collected the dishes, brought some more crap next week. And that's how it was. Lovely couple, lovely couple. Like, you know, uh, sweetest, sweetest couple you can imagine in a way. Um, but as a kid, old people are scary. You know, the watery peepers, the big gnashes, everything about them, the nasally breathing, the hairs coming out from the ears, from the nostrils. So, yeah, so I was I was there for the night. Uh, and we played this game of Karen balls, which is like a Dutch, I think it's a Dutch game, uh, similar to pool, except you're flicking counters into pockets. And... I just I've got visions of like the the big knobbly hand just you know crawling across the board and all that kind of stuff. And then we ended up. I said to them, "Can we watch some television?" And they said, "Yeah, we'll we'll put uh, we'll put something on." And we ended up watching Psycho. Now I was eleven years old um, and That's watching Psycho. Great in between movie. these two, yeah, in between these two, you know, old people. Um, who were tapping their little bony fingers on their knees, their nasally breathing. All the while, I've got psycho music playing in the background, you know, Norman Bates stabbing someone in the shower. And, I, and I, I, it all comes back to that. It, it really does. And and I think I remember halfway through the movie, she brought me this um, bowl full of, the only way I can describe it is a blancmange. I don't know if, are you familiar with blancmange or? No. I've heard of it. It's like, You've heard of it. It's it's like a it's like a curdled yogurt. Um, yeah. It's just kind of this horrible gloop, <laughs> and it had some rainbow coloured some rainbow coloured food additive on the top. And I remember because I already knew what it was going to taste like. So it was one of the worst experiences in my life having them two sat other side of me watching a psycho eating this gloop that tasted of tobacco, and I had to eat it because they were sat there. And I had so many nightmares. After that evening, you know, just just imagining their their watery peepers coming out of recesses, uh, their gnashes coming at me from all directions. That's some scary shit. And I think that's traumatized me. And that's why I like writing old people horror. I'm just going to say one thing and then Candace jump in and then Brennan, unless you guys want to flip flop. Um, so that makes sense on your book, Nana, um, because it just it, it's. I'm not going to we're not going to dive into the story right Man, now unless you well, yeah, unless you want to. But I'll just explain the cover because it is enticing for the book. It yeah. It's like part of her face is normal and you're like, oh, she looks like a sweet. Nope. I uh, kind of get into the shining vibes, that bathroom scene, you know, so I get it. Exactly. I totally get it, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Candace. Don, Don Noble said, did such a great job on that one, actually. That's exactly how I wanted it. I wanted the half, the innocence, the old person, the lovely sort of like smells like daisies and daffodils. And I wanted mm. the other half of her face melting just to reflect this evil that was emanating from inside, from within. Yeah. yeah. And, and real, real quick, I want to say Don Noble, he is someone that 
Candace's uh, Candace use uh, uses a lot. I can't talk. Don Noble is an artist that Candace uses a lot. And uh, if you're interested in a you know cover artist, consider him, please. He's awesome. Go ahead, Candace. <laughs> yeah, he's one of the great. But <clears throat> Mark, 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 Mark. So many things to talk about here. But one of the things we normally like to start with is <clears throat> we uh, like to let the authors sort of pitch their story. One, so we don't give anything away that you don't want us to. And two, we just really enjoy watching you guys squirm. So you yeah. got two minutes <laughs> to pitch yeah. Chasing the Dragon. And so Candace literally has a stopwatch going. Yeah, if I was new, <laughs> what would you say? All right. Okay. Thanks, Candice. Um, so, look, th this is essentially about a traumatized, we'll call him a man-child. Um, this is me on the pages, by the way. So th this is growing up in a very traumatized household where his mother ruled with an iron fist and everything had to be perfection. So if you... If you lined up your shoes next to the door, and this is how crazy it got, if they went parallel, she would have a problem with you. If you got crumbs on the counter, she'd have something to say. If you left a cup without washing it and putting it away, you'd be mincemeat. Uh, if someone parked in front of the house, oh my God, the weekend would just be, that would be it. It would be ashes. So she was, um, she was all for respect for one another but to a really ridiculous extent were you know and she even used the terminology chaos at one point thus you know um how i refer to it in the book but so really it's about this man child that's grew up in such a, a claustrophobic um environment and even when his mother dies her voice lives on in his head um the message to end the chaos so he decides to the, the only way he can he can really put an end to it finally is to go out there and end the chaos. So he buys he gets a leotard, um, takes it to the local chain smoking seamstress called Janice, who has a suit made for him, a really shitty suit. She forgets to put a mouth hole in, but that's part of like you know the running joke and the the sort of upgrades later on. And he takes to the street first of all, asking people to pick up after their dogs, asking people to pick up their litter on them like a rash for double parking. Um, but he soon gets swallowed in the, the sort of really dark recesses of town where he starts getting involved with the drug lords, the really seedy bits of town. And that's where it sort of takes a step up and gets a little bit more serious. But it's really about a, a man-child, a very naive, um, very troubled man that is just trying to do his best to end the chaos. But of course, Everything he touches turns to shit. The harder he tries, the harder he fails. And um, there's some really good twists in this one. And, uh, you know, the ending is quite a, quite a really, I think it's quite a cool sucker punch as well. I don't know. Nice. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> okay. All right. So <clears throat> that's a lot to unpack. Sorry. And there's a lot of personal stuff in there as well. So... Did you have a hard time writing the story since there was so much of your history in here? Or Good was question. it more was the... cleansing? Yeah, 
It was the yeah. easiest story I've written. It was the easiest story I've written. <laughs> okay. It was just um, the words cathartic, therapeutic come to mind. Look, and I use writing uh, for therapy, you know. Mm -hmm. that, that's I started writing for that reason, just to, you know, I was drinking every night and I needed something else and writing was the solution. So um, this probably ultimately why I'm so passionate about it. But um it was it was just so easy. I was just bleeding onto the page. It was um, you know, but it's dark, it's tragic, but you know, I'm a Yorkshire lad. I've you know, I've got a, a very twisted sense of humor, thanks to my dad for passing that down. And you know, most of the stuff I write has that tongue-in-cheek humor running mm -hmm. through it. Yeah. Uh, it helps balance the dark and the light. And that's been the story of my life, really. Um, yeah, sense of humor is so important to me. And I don't trust anyone without a sense of humor. I, th I think it's I think it's it shows aspects of vulnerability in a way that other things can't. Because it's a, it's a shield in some way, and you know, if you've got a well-developed sense of humor, I think of that as being a well-developed shield for life, and that's mm. that makes it through into all of my stories, most of them. Yeah, that makes sense. Most of the, um, the I can't talk now. The most successful comedians usually come from a tragic past. You're right because they, they really learn do. to to protect and deflect themselves with humor yeah. yeah comedy was a big thing in, in, in my house as well so while we had that that darkness um i had a, a, such a relationship with my dad that it would kind of offset that and mm -hmm. you know we again like you know we, we shared a lot of um we used to love watching programs like only foods and horses rising damp all that kind of jazz they're really old school british tv that you, they wouldn't get away with these days of course but um, a sense of humor was just was just paramount for survival for both of us, really. And I think yeah. that's why we became more like brothers in the end than than a father and son relationship. Um, nice. But you, you do what you have to do. Yeah, you do. Brandon, uh, Patrick. I was gonna say I have a question before we move past this. Is uh, and if you if you don't want to talk about this, go say pass. But uh, what about you being a father now? What is what are some lessons that you took, um, good or bad? Because uh, it, from what I've noticed, it seems like you're real close with your daughter. Seems like you got like, seems like you guys are brimming with love. It's a good question. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think to shield her from anything like that, and just to, you know, I wasn't I wasn't allowed to bring friends around to the house, for example. Shit, for that, that was reason. so I'm oh going around to people's. Yeah. I'm sorry to cut you off, but go on. No, Lock, go on, you go. Chasing the Dragon's pretty much an autobiography, just in com um, um, comic book form. Because, like, you're, you're, I'm sorry to railroad this one, but I don't even know if no, that's go for it. But your first answer about what got you into horror, you're pretty much saying this is uh, Chasing the Dragon. Then you're like, now this is even more Chasing the Dragon. So I'm just like, as a guy that just read it, I'm like, whoa, okay, that's wild. That's insane. Uh, carry on, sir. I'll shut up. <laughs> No, no, it's it's a good point. I mean, like I said, it's a parallel to my life. It, I wrote it with that intention as well um, because I knew how how cool an experience it would be. But uh, look, I want I want my um, I've got a son who's nineteen as well. I just I just want that our house to be an open house. I want it to be uh, oozing with warmth, and you know, for them to bring their friends around, for them to be able to laugh and pretty much talk about anything. Um, you know, just just to make it as comfortable as possible. Life is hard enough. 
especially as a kid, as a teenager, all the angst, et cetera, every, all the sort of, you know, the politics of school. We just really wanted to, you know, create an environment where they could come and talk to us about anything. Mm. And, you know, both of them have the same twisted sense of humor I have, and that's no coincidence. <laughs> um, but, you know, Steph, my wife, is really solid as well. She brings something else, a different dynamic to it. So, you know, we, we've got this environment whereby we, you know, we really sort of, this is going to sound, you know, sound is not cheesy now, but it, it's really encouraging them to be open with us, mm. uh, to talk about anything, and to know that we'll always have their back, whatever happens in life. That's not that's not cheesy at all, Brennan. I'm just going to finish with this, and you jump in unless Canis was about to reply. But uh, that's not cheesy. Land the plane, Patrick. That's not <laughs> cheesy. At, uh, sorry, just trying not to laugh too hard in the mic. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm the same way. Like whatever it is, you know, I, I've got a four and a, a four year old and a six month old, so they're a lot younger. But um, yeah, I don't know about you guys. I'm sure there's other authors that could relate with this specifically, but I always go to worst case scenario and I got to control my damn self or I'll be too overbearing. So it's hard as a parent because like you try to put it all on the page, but uh, you know, life's hard. But eventually, yeah. like you said, you want to reassure them that the house is a safe haven in every way. So yeah, right, right on. I, I'm a fan of you for that shit, man. Mm -hmm. Seriously. So Brennan. Look, agreed. Like you, you're never going to create. It's it's. You, we've, there's no. We haven't done this before. It's like when you haven't written a book, you're not going to create a masterpiece first effort. And it's just you just do your best you can. And it's like you know the teenage years hit you hard, and there's no doubt <laughs> they can be brutal. Um, but that sense of humor is so important. Hanging on to that because I think it just creates that rope. You know that, that sort of that um, commonality that you can both hang on to throughout everything. And that, that's that's really really key for me in terms of reaching out just just to. Life, life is important, but it also if you take it too seriously, um, it will just bite you in the ass. And that's mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, it's um, every for me every every writer I look up to, or you know every person I look up to takes their whatever their goal or whatever they think of themselves as. This is my dream to be. They take that art serious. They don't take themselves serious and. I've really noticed that in everyone I look up to. I mean, Candace pretty much was saying that Brennan's a silly guy, but he takes his work serious. You know, I, I do that too, but um, I, I don't know, man. You seem like you do that too. It's just, I, I've noticed that that's in every, that's a trait that everyone that I think, know, you know, does well and that's what they do. So yeah. Brennan, carry on. I'm just rambling. <laughs> I'm waffling. <laughs> well, let's harp on that though. Um, Mark, you mentioned... Quiet, Patrick. Uh, Mark, you mentioned bleeding on the page uh, and and writing as catharsis. Uh, at, you know, in in kind of tandem with that sense of humor, almost as a shield. Um, so, with you kind of writing this story and pouring it out, and you know, dumping these tongue in cheek jokes here, there, and everywhere. Uh, my question is, when you got the first draft down and went back to refine how much work did you do to like look at look at the humor and say you know this is too much even for this story uh that lands just right maybe we could punch it up here uh because the first draft is for you that's certainly what it sounds like 
But when you go back and look at, okay, now other people are going to be reading it, how did you kind of take on this story? That's a really good question. And th there's a, you know, I could have probably actually cut out a lot, um, especially when I'm weighing up British humor versus American humor. That was quite, quite, that's quite a, that's an interesting discussion. That's a whole new, that's a whole podcast on its own, I think. Um, but I didn't want to do that because essentially I, I, I wanted it to be quite raw. You know, I wanted, I wanted the character to be an open book. And this is his way of, of dealing with the trauma, not just going out there, you know, getting a shitty suit made from a leotard, but his internal discussions and, and everything. It's, you know, I, I just wanted to represent him as flawed, tragic, and using his sort of internal and external comedy as, as a means of, of um, get, helping him through. Um, so I didn't, I didn't really cut a lot out. You know, I was worried about, because it's difficult with horror comedy, you know, especially if you go out relatively strong and then trying to carry that through. But I, 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 if you get too wrapped up in that, then I think there's a tendency to overdo the comedy and it will get silly. It will get slapstick and it'll become too much. So um, it definitely takes a darker turn, I think, the last third. Um, but that's fine. That, I'm, I'm happy with that because I think at that point, hopefully the, the readers of have got some empathy and um, some sympathy for our character, so they feel it even more when I take them when I take them down that darker path. If that makes sense, mm. yeah, and it it has kind of reflections of uh, like you know James Gunn's super uh, kick ass, where you get to a point where there's there's humor in those movies, but you get to a point where reality hits, and uh, you know without spoiling anything about this story reality hits and all of a sudden uh some of the humor that was appropriate to the first two thirds is no longer going to land given the situation or is no longer yeah. going to be uh fluttering through the character's mind given the situation um yeah now the the other thing is and and you've kind of pitched this as a multi-genre work uh you know it's it's got crime romance horror um if superhero is a genre which in 2024 I'm pretty sure it is um it's it's got that and a lot of times when you look at a book that could be pitched as multi-genre you might say well it's crime but really the heart of this story is and this one doesn't have necessarily one focus so i guess i'm wondering when you wrote it is that just kind of what came out is an amalgam of what Mark Tows writes or uh, did you, did you go in with one direction in mind and just kind of the story took you to other places? That's another great question. Um, I, I think I, I think just to, just to make the character fully rounded, um, you know, I, I set off intentionally not to tick boxes as such, but um, I mean, I, I've written like I've, I've written 185 short stories, and I've written sci-fi, I've written dark romance, I've written thriller, crime, etc. So there was an aspect of um, you know how can I sort of incorporate all of that, uh, amalgamate all of that into a single story. So so while I didn't go out there intentionally trying to tick boxes because the last thing I want to do is tick boxes because I've, that just introduces rigidity and it makes it less fun uh, for the writer. But um, 
but I think by by covering all of those, by incorporating all of those into the story, the romance. I've never written. I've written sort of two romance stories before. So the romance is Towsy writing romance is like, you know, yeah, all right. Um, but I think it. I think it just helps shape the character. I think you know. And sorry, this is a really vague answer. I think. I think that. I think the short answer is <laughs> no. I just wrote the story that was calling to me. And um, that just took me in directions I wasn't expecting. Um, I am a panster, simple as that. I don't really have a clue, uh, you know, where no, it's going from one do. chapter to the next. Sorry. No, no, no. Um, I, I was just saying none of us do, man. We're just doing this thing and <laughs> open some shit sticks. Yeah. Um, Brian, did you have a second question? Well, first of all, I'd say don't worry about a vague answer. That was absolutely one of the multiple choice, you know, options. Uh, we, we all know what it's like to just let a story flow. And, oh, you know, I did not see it <laughs> taking that turn and, you know, dipping its toe in that genre. Um, so, you know, you mentioned uh, 185 short stories, which is impressive as hell. You've got, you know, a list of novellas. Uh, what made Erie River the right place to, to put your debut novel with? Well, that's a hell of a question. That's a hell of a question. Um, um, I think I think the the important one of the first things I look for is is how passionate um, someone is about their work. And there are there are lots of indie presses out there, but if you don't get the um, if the passion doesn't jump off the page, if it if it feels machine like. Um, regardless of you know who they are how long they've been publishing so I, one of the key factors i look for is passion and i've worked with Eva river before and their attention to detail was spot on um on an anthology a previous anthology and i've spoken to michelle before and i know she she really this this is a passion project for her she you know she really drives this from the heart and yeah, I, I think that that's pretty much it. I mean, if if I come across someone that it's it's like um, my second novel is going to be with uh, Wicked House and Patrick again, he does a great job of like, you know, expressing his passion. So that, that's all it really takes for me. Um, I just want someone that believes in my work as much as I do. And you know, I've I've done a few things in the past, quite prolific, but this book for me is like I back this a hundred percent because it's it's essentially. Um, everything i do in in one in one book so i back this one i think there's something in it for everyone so and michelle read it and uh, she loved it as much as um i enjoyed writing it which i think is important and yeah the rest is history really and you know we've again even from the point of having um sounds silly but having book plates bookmarks made special special edition ones that just speaks volumes in terms of how much they believe in the project, you know, how much they're willing to get behind it. And I've just felt like a VIP um, in comparison to, oh, I can't, you know what I mean? You can't, it's difficult to say things. Like, but I, I, it, it, I felt like I've had a different treatment and that was yeah. really important to me. That's yeah. worth yeah. noting right there. Um, sorry, mm -hmm. guys, but it, it's really worth pointing out because Candace has said this a few times that there are always newer writers uh that are listening to the show or maybe aspiring writers and um if there's a, a publisher and you're not comfortable with them for one reason or another you think they're not living up to your expectations 
they probably aren't and you should not work with them. It's it's that simple. You know, you work hard on your book. You want someone that's actually passionate about it. So that's a great answer, Mark. Um, Brennan, do you have it's, anything It's else? a simple answer, but it's true. Yeah, that there's a lot of noise out there, but it's like, you know, once you sort of dig beneath the layers, it's how, how, how much... How much do you actually believe in my project? Not not about sort of hitting balls in the hope of you know getting a home run. It's like how much do you really really believe in what I do? Do you you know would you bet your granny on it? That, that kind of stuff. So they better fit yeah. at the very least. They better fit good because they're the publisher. So they you know th their whole job is to make money on what you're writing. So <laughs> you know they yeah. they better at least you'd, like you'd, you'd think be supportive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you'd think. I, I know. Yeah, I, yeah, know. I know. I know. We all know. You know. That's not true for everyone, but yeah, that's yeah, life. Yeah. Mark, you have this very polite British way of answering questions where it sounds <laughs> like I feel like half the time when you answer a question, you also sound like you're apologizing for not having a good enough answer. When, you know, I, I pose that question to you, why Erie River? If you had said, you know, passion, next question, frankly, that is a good enough answer because. Uh, th that's a perfect answer because if you spend months upon months cobbling this project and getting it just so, and then somebody reads it in two days and can match your excitement level, like that's somebody you want to work with. If, if they, um, you know, I, in, in my own experience, I think of, uh, Andrew Robert and dark lit and, you know, you, you talk to him about a project that you're going to be working on. And he is, you know, brimming with ideas. And that's the kind of thing you're looking for is not just, Absolutely. hey, cool story. Yeah, sure. We'll publish it. Yeah, that can't be it. That can't be the yeah. end of the line. It's like, well, what are we going to do with it? What are we excited about? And how are we going to get uh, the average reader who has 800,000 choices in books? How are we going to get them excited about it? Like that if that conversation's happening, then, yeah, that that's absolutely a reason to be looking into that press. It's true. And I think, uh, I think as you highlighted and Patrick highlighted before, when you first come into this business and someone says, oh, yeah, we'd love to publish a manuscript, you know, you, you get carried away. It's the excitement. It's the buzz. And it's like, oh, wow, you know, this is this is going to sell millions. Someone's really interested in what I'm doing. But I remember my first experience, I don't know if I can mention the publisher's name, but um, one of my novellas, and I swore down to this day, they didn't even read it. I swore down to this day, they didn't even read it. You know, it certainly didn't get a bloody good edit. I'm sure of that. Um, but yeah, you, yeah, there is a lot of noise out there. It's just worthwhile, you know, doing it at networking, speaking to a few people, getting the vibes, uh, rather than just going head first because someone says, "Yeah, we'd love to publish your book." That, that you know, that that's just the beginning. There's there's a whole, you know, yeah, it's. <laughs> It's it's very difficult to, to do podcasts because I, I I don't have a filter and I've got to stop myself like from saying certain things that say um but yeah just just be wary of the noise and and really yeah do your research. Oh, that's all right about the exactly. no filter thing. You got a safety net with me if you ever need it, and I'm I'm a big guy. So Patrick uh, knows all about not having a filter. <laughs> Thanks, Patrick. That's a great answer. I love it. Yeah, it's my best and worst quality, and both fight every day. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I, one I, of I those just, things I, is the, definitely the cover true. for chasing the dragon so this was done by tom brown like okay. and i'm not i'm not doing it just to, just to show it off but no no, um, no that's fine just just the fact that if someone's willing to take direction in terms of the cover you want even that speaks volumes absolutely you know, they're not just going to put you in a machine and come up that's this is the cover you've got that's what you're going to go with 
you know, if they're willing to, you know, this took like four or four or five revisits. So even that process, I think, is it speaks volumes about how much they want you to be happy. And yeah. that again was just thoroughly enlightening from my point of view. Um, I probably said this a lot on the show, but when it might have been the first time we talked to Jonathan Mayberry, but there's like two quotes that I just are jammed in my head, just tattooed in there forever. And one of them is that by him, Jonathan Mayberry is that uh, writing is an art, publishing is a business. And if you're working with someone in a business and you feel like you're, cause you're newer, I get it. I've, I felt like that before too, where you feel like uh, you don't want to bother them or whatever, bother them. Don't be a, you know, don't go overboard. But like, you know, like you said, uh, Mark, how it's just like, they, they should be at least a little passionate. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd like to pull us back to your, you made a comment about British humor and, uh, you were talking about, I'm going to, uh, pronounce it like, uh, a British person, a pedo, pedophile. Um, I don't have the accent obviously, but I honestly think that was ballsy the way that he did that. And I say that because a lot of, uh, writers that aren't you know way above all of us uh me like St stephen king caliber um we got to think about how is it going to get a reaction and maybe that's a little harsh he probably thinks that way maybe he doesn't give a shit i don't know but i i think that's a ballsy move and I'll, i'm not saying that in a bad way i thought it was funny um because uh reforma was being um forgive me if this is rude but a fucking idiot when he was following the girls but it was funny <laughs> and the fact that he was called that on more than one occasion for really trivial things that made me chuckle yeah. um i i don't know if you yeah. want to expand on that i just wanted to point that out i thought it was really silly um and i kind of got <laughs> that well, we're going for someone that was trying to um overfix a problem in his own life like you were talking about earlier and just going overboard because it's his mom and the fact that psycho is your origin story that makes perfect sense and i think that the yeah, it's mother aspect was really done <laughs> really well in that regard so um do you have anything that you want to expand upon in in any of those areas yeah, I think I think the chasing after the girls. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's because it was one of his first interactions, and like as you said, he was committed. Like he, it, he, he just he had to make it work. They had to do the right thing, because if he failed at that early hurdle, then you know there's a danger he might just like rip off the leotard, and and that that's, that's the last of reformer. So I think there was like a almost an overcommitment to making that work. In terms of the um the comedy, yeah, it's it's a touchy situation, isn't it? But look, my debut was Nana. That, that was full of arm farts, gas masks and leaking sores and of old people, like, full of old people geriatric body horrors. So um but I got away with that. I think I only got a few one star reviews based on that. But I think sometimes that sort of Yorkshire tongue in cheek sense of humor helps in terms of getting away with stuff um and i am a product of my influences i was brought up on british humor and um you know that definitely makes it through but i, I think I, I do think i get away with a lot i mean the first chapter is called i hate jesus if someone's going to stumble <laughs> it's going to be there you know what i mean but again Wait, wasn't that the um, first line 
no, there was the first chapter, um, okay. but he has a conversation with um, one of his first interactions with an old dear called Edith, who has cockmuncher spread across her fence. Um, and, you know, she she thinks that make mistakes him for a Bible basher. And the only way you can think of getting out of that is saying, oh, no, I hate Jesus. And of course, like, you know, she takes a step out, does the cross, looks at the heavens and all that jazz. So, uh, and he makes a mental note saying things like, I hate Jesus is not going to win win people over. But yeah. Um, so look, I, I do push the boundaries at times, but it, it is tongue in cheek. I never, ever mean to offend anyone with anything I do. Um, it is just for a good times. It is just for a laugh. When you're talking British and yeah. then go ahead, Candice. I was just going to add on to, I don't really think it was meant to offend anyone as much as it's a socially relevant aspect of the way the world is right now. And that word is thrown around a lot for the most trivial of things and sometimes the most innocent of things because it's one of the things in the world right now that is, there's a lot of it, you're hearing it more and more, but it's also reached a point of absurdity sometimes as much as it's being said and accused and thrown out there for the most mundane and trivial things. Yeah. So I think it was also sort of like a nudge at like the world itself. Like, hey, you guys, you maybe need to tone it down a little bit. Yeah. Because we're bordering insanity and absurdity with the level of this. It's important. Yeah. yeah, it's a problem. Yeah. But every single person in the world is not bad all the time. It, it is it is street language. It's street language. Yeah. It's as simple yeah. as that. And they just and, you know, throw it out there. Start, yeah, exactly. Yeah. As soon as you start ticking boxes in terms of well, what what could I say? Well, what other insult could I say? You yeah. know, and it's you know, it's, it starts to get um borderline ridiculous. But but it is, it's street, it's street lingo. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's you know, I've had conversations in the streets from kids and it's just the it's just the language they use. Now, mm -hmm. you know, again, even from their perspective, it's not meant to be particular, it's not meant to be like offensive in the way that they project it um and i'm not excusing it but right. again it is just that that sort of tongue-in-cheek street it's language it's just the that, word now like just the word back in the 80s they used different words like punk and you know yeah. those yeah. other types of words that we don't use now because we re yeah. realized and understood how derogatory they really are but exactly. it's the word of the time that's being thrown out there. It's used as an insult. And they're like, hey, well, we can use this word because, you know, yep. can't use Absolutely. A, B, and C. Yeah, yeah it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. I know what those words are. It's just funny. I've never <laughs> wow. Like, I never heard it put like that, though, before. F, D, and C. <laughs> did I mishear uh, that? Probably <laughs> Yeah, you did. I said A, B, and C. But oh, son of a bitch. Like, instead of saying <laughs> the words. Because we can all think of words that were once widely used that we don't use now. Like, all right, I'm cutting this part out. 44 minutes. I oh, definitely yeah. thought you said that. funny. <laughs> wow. Okay. Now I know. What do you think about to, to the derogatory language from the school days? You know, anyway, it was, it's but all, yeah. Um, it's just, it wasn't meant in the way it was, you know, it was it's, it's not sort used. of to, yeah. to description. It was just the. A throwaway insult. It was a childish that. insult because they yeah. heard someone say it and now they're going to say it. And I was like, oh, exactly. we're going to say this now. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. 
So I'm going to take over because Patrick keeps, you know, crashing that plane. And I, I, I don't even know what continent we're on right now. We're not. So your books, you have so many out here and you have your short stories and the novellas and you've done several collaborations as well. So I wanted to actually let you talk a little bit about some of the collaborations that you have had and yep. what your favorite one was or what made it your most enjoyable. And also, it's a two-part question. If you had a dream collaboration, who would that who would you want to work with? Okay. All right. Good two good questions. Like <laughs> There's so many possibilities, but offending people on this one. So thank you, Candice. Um, my well, favorite one. Uh, <laughs> look, to be honest with you, I've I've enjoyed everyone. Um, I read the bucket list with Keystone. Uh, that was a horror comedy about a well, we'll call it a dread and breakfast, the worst B and B in the world. Um I know. I wrote Mischief Night with Eric Hansen. That oh. was I, I like working with Eric. He's is um mm. Is a screenplay background, so he's taught me a lot about dialogue and throwing mm -hmm. throwing people together you wouldn't ordinarily, you know, put in that situation and just right. watching the fireworks. So that was a fun educational experience as well. Um, Arcadium with Damon, of course, Damon Manx. Um, yeah. That was that was a hell of a lot of fun to write, and that we're currently doing wild. a trying. Yeah, we're trying to do it. We're currently doing a try not to die in Arcadium collaboration for my. I Cooters. saw that. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is dynamite. I'll say that now. Make um, that's sure that probably... one makes it makes its way over to my arc files because I will. We Wait, can you sure, can you for sure can you talk about the synopsis at all? Just a further yeah. intrigue. Uh, the... Well, it, it it's bit? based. Sorry, yeah, it's based on the uh, the novella we did called Acridium, which is essentially mm -hmm. about <laughs> this interesting one as well. So this is about four. Um, four friends who happen to be horror, horror authors. And it starts off by discussing the dynamics and with everything that comes across, the kudos, et cetera, you know, jealousy and envy gets thrown into the mix as well. Mm -hmm. um, and it just so happens one of our authors um, knows of a government department that is currently working on a piece of equipment called Acranium that is a cross between AI and VR whereby it would allow the authors to plug into each other's stories and live through the experience with the aim that of finding fucking out. Cool. <laughs> it's really cool. Wow. With the aim of finding out who is the most twisted and scariest author out there. Mm -hmm. um, that was a bloody absolute riot to write. Because we had we had extreme horror. We had, you know, paranormal. We had the subtle sort of Japanese sort of type horror. So it was really just exploring each of those, but putting these characters and making them live through that trauma, putting them through the ringer. Um, mm. And Try Not to Die in Acridium is essentially a spin-off of that, whereby I don't know if you're familiar with the Try Not to Die series. I I'm assuming mm. that you are, but um, where readers are given choices and different paths to go down. And these, these, I used to read these books as a kid, and I was like, I was hooked on these books. So for me to go back and do it now is is so nostalgic and fun, and I'm having an absolute freaking riot on this. I really am, and I know Damon is as well. We keep we keep sort of swapping notes and stuff. So, so this is this is probably been the most 
fun uh, collaboration to date, purely because mm. of the format. Uh, yeah. I don't want to upset the other authors. It's purely because of the, the <laughs> format. Um, yeah, but, uh, but I have made a promise to myself after this um, not to do collaborations anymore, um, purely because, I don't know, because <laughs> it's very difficult, especially as a control freak, for me to relinquish control at times. And um, I've learned that the hard way. Mm. So... You know, we put some good stuff. It's not to say I'll never do it again, um, but for now, I'd rather just focus on my own stuff and and just uh, yeah. immerse myself in my own little worlds. Yeah, makes sense. I get it. So, the dream was, collaboration. Who dream would you want to work with if you could work with anybody? That's a great segue, isn't it? From what I just said, mm -hmm. <laughs> no more collaborations. But... Until. <laughs> <laughs> A dream collab. You know what? I, I've just got a, um, I've just got a funny feeling, like Jeff Strand, maybe. Yeah. I, I just, I just potentially see, um, like that, that fit working really well. Your um, sense of humor would work well with his, I think. Yeah, 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 that's what I'm thinking. But at the end of the day, Jeff Strand is that. Jeff Strand. Mark House is Mark House. You know, so we're we're in a different league. He's um yeah, so I'm just a hack that's like trying to trying to uh, escape my introvertism, is that a word? And put yes, myself out there a bit more. <laughs> so yeah, it is now. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Nice. All right. Patrick, Brennan, either one of you have something more? Yeah. Um okay. actually just want to see if you would Want to talk about Inside the Indie Horror World? That's a nonfiction well, yeah, not a nonfiction anthology series of articles by uh, a whole slew of authors. One being me, one being uh, Candice Mercedes M. Yardley, David Moody, Chad Lutsky, and Mark Taus. So, can you tell us about free therapy, just in a in a nutshell? <laughs> and Brennan, we're all in it. Oh we're my all god, in it. that's fantastic. We're all in it. Brennan, I wasn't even trying to switch up as a joke. I'm so sorry. I knew. No, that. it's fine. He didn't. He didn't read mine because yeah, Patrick. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but I legit am a fan of yours, jerk. <laughs> you know that it shows. <laughs> this is a anyway. juicy part of the show. Yeah. Over to you, Mark. <laughs> uh, free therapy. Yeah. Um, look, I got into writing for that reason. Uh, you know. I, Going drawing back to what I was saying before, I was drinking probably a bottle of wine every night, and I thought this this can't be good for me. So, um, and I, I think my wife was that sick of hearing me talk about it. You know, at one stage she just said, "Piss off, Towsy, just lock yourself in a room and go and write something." And I did. And um, the first story I wrote was was just a pile of crap. It was uh, it was embarrassing, but I think we've all got that that story, you know. But it just felt amazing. It just felt literally like i was like a radiator just getting rid of all the all the bile you know what i mean it was it was just such a great experience mm. and at the end of it i just felt like refreshed and even after that first story which is shite i was addicted i was totally addicted to it i knew i knew i was going to be doing this all the time the simple as that. i just got the book yeah absolutely and i think um you know you, you, it, it everything we write it's us on the page there's no doubt about it. It's our personality. It's our experiences coming out in some form. And it's just, uh, it's just priceless. Yeah, I love it. Thanks. 
kind of feel the same way about why I write. So, yeah, I can relate. I was going to ask the question to you as well, you guys, mm -hmm. so in terms of that. So what, what got you first into writing, Candice? Oh, God, me. Um, well, trauma. <laughs> yeah. But no. Um, I wonder how common that response is. It's probably fairly common amongst us all, but I knew by the time I was probably five or six that this was the only thing I wanted to do. It was five the only six. dream that stuck with me from the time I learned to read. Like, and I went to the library for the first time and all these books and my eyes got real wide. Yeah. And I was Aww. like, there were so many places that I could go and visit without going anywhere. And like, it was great. Yeah. I, from that moment on, like, that was it. Like, I knew this was all I wanted to do. As far as the horror aspect goes, I was reading Edgar Allan Poe by the time I was eight, Alfred Hitchcock cock and all of those yeah. and then i grew up with a mom and dad who were very much into horror movies and the b movies and all the video rentals because my mom worked at the video store so we used to get the first pick of all the movies for the weekend so my right. dad would go and we would pick all these cheesy movies and we watch them all weekend and i was raised on it like we watched a lot of it we told the ghost the ghost stories at night and they were paranormal investigators for like 20 some years at some point too. And it's always been part of just us and me. That's and awesome. yeah, there's a lot of personal stuff in there as well. And I've always expressed it. I've always expressed myself more in written word than speech, but yeah. everything that I ever tried to write always had sort of a more bleaker twist. A yep. darker path if you will like nothing yep. ever had a happy ending so here we are i was gonna ask a question actually out of you guys that have you ever written a story with a happy ending or do you generally leave it on a on a dark night um... i do i do both it depends on the story you do <clears throat> okay is, is that for your benefit or for the readers or a bit of both or um, I take the Sid Haig approach where I do the shit for me first and forever probably will be, well, there'll be books where it'll be dedicated to people because of them, but I do this for me first and then I do okay, it for yeah. probably friends and family and readers. But yeah, um, yeah when I heard Sid cool. Haig say that, cause I, I, I am obsessed with interviews and my, uh, my godfather said at a young age, he's a, he was in uh, the Boston, the greater Boston area for uh uh, independent actors. Um, and he said the free lessons are, uh, you know, DVDs, VHSs, the behind the scenes interviews, uh, commentary tracks. So uh, long story short, I, yeah. I would just, uh, I love, uh, the devil's rejects. Um, and I just love Sid Haig and I would just hear what he said. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. But that was a long time ago and I still agree with it. And maybe my views will change when I'm older, but I don't care how it sounds yeah. like, you know, I'm thankful for everyone that likes what I write, but I'm doing it for me first because dude, I don't know any, I drank a lot. I quit over two years ago. Um, yeah. Crazy and healthy. Don't want to lose my family and friends and everything that I know. Yeah. So I don't know what else to do. Like I love nature, but I don't want to walk all the time, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> I love writing. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to answer why I'm going to write. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to do. 
I'm stealing it for a second. Um, what my one of my first short stories I showed my wife, and uh, she stopped after like a few paragraphs. She's like, "You were mixing up tenses. You were." She's not a writer. Uh, she reads, but not often. Yeah. She's like, "I can't read this. It's unreadable." And I'm like, okay. okay. So uh, that was about 11 years ago. <laughs> just just say, what, now, say what you think, love. Say what you think. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad she's she's uh she's a tough tough cookie. But uh, anyways, yeah. um, I wrote it's unfinished right now. I do want to return to it one day. But Devil's Rejects was a big influence on a really uh really interesting and fucked up horror book that um. How do I put this? I, I wrote it because I was at a point in my life, and this is before I knew my wife, but because I wrote long before I knew Ta uh, Tara, but it was her that got me back into reading and got back into a, a structured way of looking at it. But um, I wrote this story to, quite frankly, see all the fucking assholes in my life that the uh, cousin that was a drug addict doing fucked up stuff to the point where I told my mom, okay, stop telling me. I don't want to hear this. And I had these friends that uh, one of them got involved with him and it, it was just, it, it wasn't good. So I want to see him die. I want to see him tortured because they were doing a lot of fucked up stuff that I, I, I wouldn't in, in person do. I wouldn't go up and punch him or anything. I'm like, but I kind of want to and absolutely want to do more. So I wrote about it. I didn't use their names or likeness or anything, but I put it in um, fiction. And some might say, that's fucked up. I would say, all right, what's a healthy way to deal with that? That was my, that's my positive yeah. outlet. That's, so, a, that's a perfect way of dealing with it. a healthy way. I, that's a great that's, way of dealing with it. Yeah. That's my answer. I dealt with it, got better at writing. 11 years I'm here now. So, Brennan. So, yeah. wait, well, I'm going to like cut everyone off first because I had to think about my happy ending question oh, I because about... I honestly didn't know. <laughs> half and half, I think. So half of my okay. stories have had happy endings. Yep. Half of them have not. But Perfect. I think it's not written, it's not really written either for me or the reader. It's written for whatever the story needed. Yeah, fair enough. Absolutely. That so, makes complete say, sense. Whatever I, I like to throw it in a happy is. ending just to catch people by surprise as well. Yeah. <laughs> but I had to think I, about I, it. I'm probably 90% unhappy. Yeah, but 10% happy, but it, it catches them by surprise. I'll keep them on yeah. the toes with that, you know? Okay, Brandon. I, I mean, I, I want to go with the, it's what the story needed, but yeah, I, I think my answer is there, if, if not happy, there's a glimmer of hope. There's, yeah, you know, that's a good there, one. there's yeah. something to, to keep people thinking, okay, the story's bad, but the world is not. Um, yeah. Perfect. That's, Perfect. That's where I want to leave people. Yeah, I think that's how chasing the dragon ends as well. I think to some extent in the fact that there is a, a slim line of hope, you know, but um, the reformers got a lot of trauma and uh, to get through first, but there is hope. Yeah, and I, 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 I that's a really good answer, actually. Yeah, hope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, diving into my, you know, I, I would have to really... I'm sure I've written a happy ending. I can't think of a story off the top of my head that has <laughs> yeah. it, but I'm sure it's out there somewhere. Um, you had to think about it. But um, my uh, my my initial ghost story trilogy, the Slattery Falls trilogy, absolutely ends with that. You know, it, it's a without spoilers, it's a downer of an ending, but 
there is that the, the epilogue to that is one of my favorite things I've ever written. Um, and it does, it has that ember of hope that, um, just, it makes me feel good. And I hope that anybody who picks the books up and reads them, that it does the same for them. Awesome. Awesome. Brennan has a really neat story, and I'm just going to say it because it's short and sweet, but he has this deaf character in his Western noose, and his uh, when he was at a con, this father uh, said that his daughter's also deaf, and her name was also Alice, and I don't know. It, if, would, would you like me to tell the story because you're, you're botching it so bad? <laughs> Rewind. <laughs> Brennan's turn. <laughs> All right. First off, the 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 character in in the uh, noose and demon of devil's cavern is not deaf. She's mute. Um, Nailed it. But the Nailed the story <laughs> you did not. That's why I interrupted you. Um, the story Patrick is alluding to is I had um, somebody come up to me at a convention, um, and they were buying a different book, um, and. They, I said, who should I make this book out to? And, you know, his, he had his, his daughter with him and she was uh, disabled. And I, I, I wouldn't guess at what her disability was, but um, he said, you know, make it out to her, make it out to Alice. And I said, oh, I have, you know, I held up my, my uh, Demon of Devil's Cavern book and said, oh, this, you know, I have, I have a character named Alice in this book and she's one of my favorite characters I've written. Um and the and the dad says, oh, you know, she doesn't she doesn't talk, and I I, I didn't want to go into it because it it yeah there there was nothing that occurred to me at the time that you know didn't feel a little bit patronizing, um, so it was just kind of that you know internal moment, but it was very gratifying to be able to sign that book over to that little girl and hope that you know the family will read it and find something in there whatever that something is that's a cool interaction that, that's a great mm. bookmark in in the writing journey just by and, itself. and it's why and that's and it's why we do it isn't it you know yeah absolutely absolutely right mark anything that we've not touched on we've not mentioned about chasing the dra- dragon that you want to mention and then when you finish that question i actually have one more for you Okay. Uh, anything about it that I haven't mentioned? Um, no, I I just oh, not without sounding really bloody cheesy, like a used car salesman. But um, no offense to any used car salesmen that are listening. Shit. Um, but <laughs> I just urge anyone to pick it up and give it a try. You know, if you've not tried yeah. me before, I think this is a good representation of what I put out there. Um, it's fun. It's a good time. Um, it's yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> Help. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I had a lot of visuals come at me when I was reading this and tell me to, you know, stop talking now, whatever. But what are your thoughts on this maybe being a full-blown graphic novel at some point? Yeah, I can see that happening. I can yeah. see that happening. Just, just because I thought there's what... a lot of really fun visuals in this and a lot of really like 
dark visuals and with some of the newer graphic novels that are out now and I've seen a couple of folks in the indie industry right now too that have had some of theirs made into that and I was like this might be a perfect project for yeah absolutely that at some point just I'd love throwing to have that that out dilemma there I'd love to have that dilemma like it, it yeah all depends on how it flies doesn't it literally I mean it, it, yeah if it's received really well and you know you you know you get all the spin-offs and stuff that'd be amazing because yeah I, I think Reforma is a fantastic character but I'm biased you know but um Well, yeah, yeah you know <laughs> sure. but Just wanted to run that past you, but all right. no but I So, can see it but just reverting back to what um what Patrick was saying before uh this is the first book of mine that my son has read he's 19 and yeah. he's 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 been into manga before and all that kind of jazz so uh, initially I think it was the cover that drew him and he's picked it up and said dad you know do you mind if I read this <laughs> please do mate Please. please <laughs> read it um in a and he read it and he loved it and that that was that for me was was huge because um getting I don't see him reading much so to have him pick up one of my books and read it man you can't ask for much more than that um But it's always been an uphill battle to get my kids to read, which is like, I don't know. Obviously, it's a sign of the times, but I wish it wasn't like that. Um, because Right. for me, reading reading was everything as a kid, man. It was like, um, it was just a huge part of my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same. Hey, Mark, the first time, I don't know if you saw this, but that Peter Straub looked like he was going to die, which was about three years ago, I believe. His daughter, Emma Straub, had posted that basically knowing her father because it was a big scare knowing her father through his books that's that's the legacy that's part of his legacy right and i'm just bringing this up for any other parent that might be listening might not even know or think of this but um i haven't stopped thinking about that especially after he did pass um uh i just haven't stopped thinking about that for you know myself i got two boys you know um Again, there's no end to this, so someone will have to save me. But I think it is worth noting that uh, the fact that your boy picked up your book on his own volition and never mind, like, loved it, that's amazing. And I am so happy for you, man. That's so, Yeah. <laughs> Thank so you. cool. Yeah. Yeah. One Because day I've after written another. a lot That's of stuff. amazing. <laughs> And it's shown no interest before. I've written a lot of crap. Do you want to do you want to read this, Adam? Do you fancy reading this? What's it about? No, I'm not interested. Uh, so the fact, <laughs> the fact, I mean, the cover did help. It was is sort of that graphic kind of I got um, you. representation as Candice was telling. But um, but yeah, he, he loved it. And um, you know, he says, "Oh, when are you going to write the sequel?" And yeah, I'd, say, I'd love to, but we'll see Okay, how it goes first. okay. Yeah, Um, Candice, do you want to jump into currently reading, or was there anything else? Currently reading, I am still working my way through the horror movie arc by Paul Tremblay. So hopefully finishing that by tomorrow night and then jumping into the next. And you are enjoying it how much? Um, more than I would enjoy a Klondike bar right now, which would be an awful lot. Yeah. You know me, my ice cream. I like my ice cream. I've, Really good. I've heard I like that ice cream people too. would do a lot of things for Klondike Mm, Bar. they sure would, but I don't think I would trade my story right now for Klondike Bar. It would have to wait. I need Okay. to finish the book. So, yeah, it's fantastic. Ringing endorsement. Ringing endorsement. More fun than a Klondike Bar. Hit him <laughs> on the phone, you heard buddy. it here <laughs> What the fuck? Sorry, Paul. Brennan. Um, I actually just finished uh, this right here. 
Uh, Don Winslow is a cool breeze on the underground. This is a reissued version of his first novel. Um, and it, it's funny because it's he, Winslow found his voice, uh, you know, maybe five or six novels in. And it's so weird to read one of his books that's not in present tense, but it's it's still got that storyteller about it. Um, what is it? Third a, person or like third person um, past tense? No, it's third person, but it's past tense. Um, gotcha. He, you know, mo- almost all of his books are in present tense. Um, and this one's in past, so it's weird for that. But at the same time, it's just as compelling as any of his other work and you you know even though there's there's some things in here that you would not find in any of his you know later works uh it's still just as it draws you in just as fast and has that storyteller in it uh the other thing i'm reading and i'm almost done is uh the uh one of the barnes and nobles near me uh, shout out to Lisa at Barnes and Noble Hingham. Yeah. Uh, she's doing this really awesome thing where she has a horror book club. Um, and every month or maybe it's every other month, uh, it's she's bringing in month. somebody. Yeah. She's bringing in somebody to talk about, um, one of their books. And this month is Paul Tremblay talking about a head full of ghosts. So I am rereading that for the first time in like five years. And it is even better than I remember it. And I hold that book up on a pedestal. So you should. Um, it's, it's so good. Yeah, man. It's, it's so fucking it's, good. It's a, I love everything Paul's written and rereading this just kind of like reaffirms the fact that this is the best thing he's written. Um, I think um, it, it's an incredible book. And if you haven't read it, oh, my God, what are you doing with your life? Go read my, it. It's my favorite book. Um, Mark, let's throw it to you. What are you currently reading or what have you read recently that made an impact? Um, I haven't been doing a lot of reading recently. I have just finished a novella called The Ballad of Black Tom. Uh, oh, my it's, God. Uh, yes. It's a Laval. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. uh, I, I, I need to get back into to reading more, to be honest with you. But it's at the moment, every minute of my life seems to be accounted for. But, um, but um, in terms of The Ballad of Black Tom... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it didn't quite grab me. It didn't quite win me over, to be honest. Um, I haven't read. I need to read Lone Women because I think that's his his most popular one. Which um, one? Uh, Lone Women is it? I think. Mm. Oh, you might like Changeling because that focuses on fatherhood. Yeah. Okay. I might give that one a try as well. But I, really I don't good. know if it was just. Um, Wrong, wrong timing, but it, it didn't it didn't quite grab me. I just thought the story was too big for 120 pages, but um, but I, it's all subjective, isn't it? So you know, but some people loved it. A lot of people did. So shut up, Towsy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's fun. I I, I didn't like uh, World no. War I'll, Z. I'll, Fuck I'll it. I'll just say I hate yeah. World War Z, and so many people love it. There you go, Brennan. Go. <laughs> L- Lone Women is awesome. <laughs> um, the Changeling is even better, and um, okay, his novel, The Devil in Silver. Uh, just got picked to be adapted for the third season of AMC's The uh, The Terror. Uh, okay. So, All right. Yeah. No. It, it, if you didn't like the Ballad of Black Tom, I don't think it's Le- a Laval problem. Um, no. I would definitely okay. check out the Changeling or the, the Devil. Changeling. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I will do that. Yeah. All right. Sound. Patrick. 
yeah, I just want to say one more thing. Like Victor is really fucking smart, super nice guy. Um, yep. I don't know. I just like that. I like when people don't change when they hit success. Um, I don't know. That's all I got for that. But, a, lot, a lot of the prize was great. I just, I don't know. It just, it just, um, yeah, I don't know. It just didn't, didn't quite get me, but I'm going to try the changeling because I've, I've heard so many good things about him. So, so I'm going to mention a book that I just finished reading recently. Um, it's not out yet. It's not out in, well, this, okay. So this episode comes out, uh, March 4th. I, don't know the exact date when this one comes out but it comes out in march a little bit after this episode airs it's called we're not ourselves today it's by jill girardi and lydia prime um it's a collection by two authors and uh it's just basically i compared it to like jane austen if you take away um the austen humans and replace them mostly with supernatural beings and my impression and i asked jill and she said i got it and i don't know it can't i'm not i'm not prime but she did say candace pretty much hit the nail on the head too with um her blurb and mine was pretty much that uh you know so like i said jane austen it, it's a commentary on society there's comedy uh it could be enjoyable surface level to if you really dig deep down to the roots it, it's really excellent like there's not there's not a single missed short story in there um, i'm gonna leave it at that because i don't want to spoil any of it it's not even out yet it's really worth your yeah. time so I'd check it out i did um, recently mention of peter straub i did recently reread the talisman and that was um that was like being transported to being 12 years <laughs> old that was amazing i loved it how about black house what do you think about love that house? as well i love that nice. as well but the talisman for some reason i don't know it hit me really um hit me really really hard when i was a kid and it sort of like did have the same impact the same kind of sucker punch reading it just recently um it literally was just like so full of awe and wonder it just transports transported me back to to childhood and um yeah amazing amazing book it just really, it didn't feel like a collaboration either it was just so yeah i don't know just so smooth it was beautiful it's really upsetting no and, and even that... though king and straub are you know the horror reader uh the horror writers of their time their their prose is so different that, yeah you know um for for talisman to find that middle ground um hmm. is it's something yeah i was just gonna say it's really upsetting that peter can't see the uh you know the the adaptation of that but um let's hmm. go to final thoughts mark do you have any final thoughts no i've got to answer one question i think the only question we got on twitter was uh why are the carrots to gnomes oh uh, right which right, is right, right. uh that was yeah <laughs> that was the only one I, I think we got but yeah well that's fine do you want to was, um bomb fluff bomb fluff cinnabon uh who's the other one i can't remember now it's been a while since i've been in that world but but yeah the, the character name just uh just came to me after putting the character on page it wasn't mm -hmm. it wasn't preconceived they just kind of like turned into that and i just wanted something really tacky for the gangster uh bomb fluff you know just wanted something cartoonish almost and that was pretty <laughs> much it it wasn't there wasn't <laughs> anything you know sort of really deep or anything like that it was it was that simple so yeah and Candace has said this before that, you know, sometimes a story can just be a story. It can just be for fun. I'm pretty sure you said that last yeah. episode too. Mm -hmm. Like, I think we, I think a lot of us forget that, yes. that there's nothing deeper than a red window being red because mm -hmm. it's red, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Why is yeah. your window red? 
I don't know, man. I just picked <laughs> random shit. Can you go, Brennan? Mute yourself now. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's a perfect representation because I think on the surface it is um, it is just a good time, but if you if you dig beneath, there are quite a lot of yeah. layers um, yeah. to to the character and all his trauma and so forth, and um, and that comes through in terms of the way he interacts, his choices, etc. So yeah, it was that was a hoot to write. I'd love to write a sequel. So yeah, buy it, <laughs> please. I, I mean, I do wonder because your initial, you know, what got you into horror answer uh, included an older gentleman by the name of Alf. So I wonder if that was uh, brought over to. <laughs> it was. It was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that guy lo- marks the 80s so freaking much, man. <laughs> Look, yeah, I mean, I love old people. I, I, I think that's kind of skewed. I absolutely adore old people. I think they're amazing. I think they're amazing. And like, I think we just write them off. Um, but they've got so many stories to tell, so many layers. Um, mm-hmm. I just I just love old people. Um, I think one of the first interactions that set me off down this road, as well as Daphne and Alf, uh, was my first my son's first paper round. And um, he was doing a round for like a semi-retired, retired community. And this old fellow walked out. I think he was lonely. We saw the, the curtains twitching and whatnot. Um, uh, he had these two big bushy eyebrows and, you know, that was the only hair on his head. And it was just this interaction with my son, like the the sort of the divide, the alienation between the two that I thought was really interesting. And my son was terrified. You know, he took a step back. because it's like these two big hungry caterpillars on this man's face. And it was just um, it was such a such a bizarre to watch that interaction. And I, I think that's something else that stayed with me as well. And that's why I like to exploit exploit that in uh, some of the old people's stuff, all right? Yeah. So, um, Candice, final thoughts on your end. Final thoughts. Um, thank you for your time. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for Welcome. being a blast to talk to tonight. Um, and for anyone listening or watching the show, go check out Chasing the Dragon because it's a lot of fun. It's a good time. Thank you, Candice. Thanks. You're welcome. Brennan. Uh, Echo, thank you for your time. Uh, I appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And despite the <laughs> fact that you are, I think, maybe the upwards of 10 Australian guest we've had, I still really enjoy the fact that you are coming to us from the future because it's Friday night. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're all in for a good day, though. It's, it's you're, you're all going to have fun. It's good. Yeah, there's lots of stuff. Apart from that. Patrick. Sorry, Patrick. <laughs> thank you just for the kidding. heads up, except for Patrick, because Patrick doesn't. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm Patrick just kidding. I appreciate you having me on. I really do. Absolutely. Um, my final, final thoughts, are... Patrick. Yep. I was in the middle of that, buddy. Final Nothing. thoughts, Patrick. No retort. Okay. Final uh, thoughts, Patrick. Yeah, okay, my bad. Uh, so, yeah, Mark, we really appreciate you coming on. It was a lot of fun, man. And, uh, you know, we had all every every kind of emotion you can have except for anger. So we got to work on that for next time you're on. But uh, no, we covered sadness, happiness. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get angry. I'm so passive. I, you I do have angry. a very Honestly, friendly and welcoming face. So I'll give you that. And yeah. you're very handsome. So you bastard with a nice set of hair. Oh, no, 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 no. Dude, trust me, I would well, like your you. hair overnight. <laughs> <laughs> I got none, man. I it shave. is going. It is going. I've, I've, I've got a, I've got a special way of combing it forward. Just, uh, but it is, it is starting to go. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> my, my dad actually has got, he's got three hairs left that just sprout from his forehead like that. But he still, he still combs them. He's still so proud of them. You know what I mean? He nurtures yeah, yeah. them. Homer Simpson. So oh, I know I I'm you. going that way. So for the time being, I'll, I'll hang on to it for as long as I can. But one day it will just fuck off and not come back. 
Brennan, I honestly can't remember. Did you do final thoughts yet? I did final thoughts. Um, wow, were you here? They did not Wasn't include attention. You, you know, threatening to steal guests' hair, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I can next. send you a lock in the post, but that's, that's, that's borderline psycho territory. Two hundred and some odd episodes, and that's new. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll try to work on that uh, next time. Next episode is uh, two thirty-seven with Wab Gishig Rice. We are going to be talking about his. He does. He does have long hair. Uh, we are going to be talking about his new book, Moon of the Turning Leaves. We're very excited for that. So, always enjoy the podcast. Thank you for picking us. Bye bye. Bye.